the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you come to this church, man, we may make you smile. We may make you laugh. But our goal is not to entertain you. Our goal is to demonstrate the power through the Spirit of God of the Word of God. Because it's the preaching of the Word of God that God uses to change lives. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. focus on. You could think of the great commandment, right? The Pharisees, the legalistic people came to Jesus and they said, all right, we've got all these laws. What's most important? And Jesus said, easy. This is easy. Don't ask me such an easy question. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor just as you love yourself. That's the greatest of all the commands. And so if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to know what's really important, Then follow the great commandment. And then before Jesus ascended into heaven, we have it recorded in Matthew 28, very clearly. All the gospels speak to this, but then we have it again in Acts 1.8. Jesus said this, you will receive power. Say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus gives us that commission. So in addition to that great commandment, I want to follow the great commission, which is that I need to be a witness in my little corner of the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I've been changed, I want to be a world changer. If I have been changed, I want to help other people be changed so that together through the gospel, we might change the world. And so I've been trying to tell you that it's not just pastors. It's not just musicians that are on a stage. It's not just missionaries who go to a foreign country, but that every follower of Jesus is called to leverage his or her life for the great commission. So as you think about your week, how, how have you done? Have you been spending your life trying to live for the glory of God as a witness for Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because that's a responsibility for every Christ follower. That's something we're supposed to do. And that's how Jesus left his disciples in the waiting room. There were about 120 of them at that point. There were the 11 disciples, some of the other friends of Jesus, other followers. And they waited. Verse 14 tells us even what they did while they were waiting. All these were with one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Boy, I'm, I'm just telling you, God's doing a revival of prayer in my life. And 
If you noticed, even in this service, we prayed a little more today because we feel like there's some spiritual battle that's going on today. And, and we really wanted to zero in and ask God to allow us to experience the victory because we believe there's power in prayer. Because when God's people unite together in persistent prayer, amazing things always begin to happen. Miracles begin to take place. That's the power of prayer. And, and so the church was gathered there praying. 120. And I want you to see what happens next. It takes place in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That speaks of unity. And if God's going to work in a church, if God's going to work through a group of people, Scripture teaches that unity is important. Jesus, when he prayed for you and me in John 17, what he prayed is that we would be one. You know, we have a very diverse church. Not only do we meet in four different settings every Sunday morning, in addition to whoever's joining us online, we're meeting with all kinds of people. We have more than 65 nations of origin represented when we come together. We have all skin colors represented when we come together. We've just walked through one of the most divisive years in my lifetime, if not the most divisive and yet I'm proud to report as a pastor that there's been a sweet spirit of unity in our church. And I think that's setting the stage for God to do something that only God can do. When you see division, you see chaos. And so they were together in one place. And then it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Do you know what wind sounds like? Why don't you just all make the sound of wind right now? Let's hear it. You're pretty good. You got a future in, in acting, vocal acting at least. But uh, so you can hear sound. So it was an audible presence, right? Did you know that in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the word in Hebrew in the Old Testament, the word in Greek in the New Testament for wind is the same word used for spirit. And so that's not a surprise that in the Old Testament, when you hear the sound, as Elijah said, of a mighty rushing wind, it was a demonstration of the presence of God. In the 18th and 19th century, it was said that the one who rules the seas rules the world because the most powerful nations were those who had the most powerful ships. And those ships were not governed by motors, however, or engines. They were governed by sails. And so the ships would go forward if the wind blew. If the wind was not blowing, the ship was not going, right? So they depended on the wind. The Bible tells us that when the Spirit of God moves, it's like a mighty wind. And so you want to see a church that is moving forward. You see a church where the Spirit of God is blowing through. What would happen on those ships when the wind was not blowing? Well, they were just sitting dead in the middle of the water. And you know what would begin to take place? The crew would begin to fight among themselves. They would begin to battle over why they were even there. They would become discouraged. They would forget their purpose. And when you see the spirit of God fail to blow through the midst of his people in a church, that's exactly what happens. They get divided among themselves. They forget why they're there. They take their focus off the main thing. I don't know about you, but I want the wind of the spirit of God to blow through our church. I want his presence in my life says it filled the entire house where they were sitting and then and divided tongues as of fire. So like fire rested on them and on each one of them. Now, I don't want you to get 
too focused on that picture. We've got a great artist, and every time we have a message, uh, he, he begins to work on another painting. I've, I've showed you some of the paintings in the past. You're going to see more in the future, but I, I'm sure he's thinking, now, how does that tongue go on the head? But I, I want you to think about the presence of God, because again, in the Old Testament, when we saw fire, what did it symbolize? Moses went to the burning bush, and who was he talking to in the bush? God, it symbolizes the presence of God. So what he was saying here is that there was a fire that was the presence of God. Later on in this, in this chapter, it's going to say, as the sermon was being preached, that the people's hearts began to burn because there was fire. When the disciples were walking with Jesus along the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, it says their hearts burned within them because there's fire. I don't know about you, but I want the fire of God in my life. I want a passion of God in my life. I don't want to live as a professing Christ follower whose life, whose countenance, whose everything about him looks like I'm no different from the world. I want to live as if people think I'm on fire. And here's what I've seen throughout my life is uh, if someone is on fire for Jesus, then people will gather around them just to watch them burn. I want the fire of God. By the way, I read this morning, just in my devotional that when Solomon dedicated the temple, what fell down from heaven, the fire of God. And it was his presence. Listen to this. Where's the temple today? The Bible says you are the temple of God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Say, I want the fire. That, that's what I want. I want the fire of God. Vance Havner, an old Baptist preacher, said, We're not going to move the world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of our lives, ignited by the Spirit of God. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, so what was happening? Let's continue. Verse 5. They were all dwelling in Jerusalem. Who? Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, all over the known world. And this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak. Who's them? The disciples, the apostles, the 120. They were speaking in their own language and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of those who were speaking Galileans? This was a racial slur. Did you catch it? They're gathered from all over the world. They're looking at the 120 who were speaking. They're understanding them in their language, but they're confused. They're saying, wait a second. This is a bunch of rednecks. This is fishermen. This is those young people that followed after that guy, Jesus. How are they? How are we? What's going on here? Boy, it's just a great reminder that God will use anybody. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to know the Bible from front of the cover to the book of maps. You don't have to understand everything about God to be a witness for God. Then it tells us who's there. It says, how can we hear each of us in our own native language? And he tells us their native languages. So this is documented. Remember, Luke is a historian, so he's documenting the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. He's saying everybody from around the world was gathered there. 
there, modern-day Iran, modern-day Iraq, modern-day Egypt, modern-day north of the coast of Africa, modern-day Rome. All of them were gathering there. They all spoke different languages, but as the disciples, there were only 120 of them gathered. But because the Spirit of God came on them like a wind and the fire of God fell on them, they began to speak in languages so that the people heard in their native tongue. By the way, this is a reverse of the Tower of Babel. What happened at the Tower of Babel? People thought they could build their way to God. And God said, that's not going to happen. And so they built this big tower, but God disrupted them. And as he disrupted them, you know what took place? They all began to speak in different tongues. And anytime, listen, anytime you think you can work your way to God, anytime you think you can climb a ladder to God, it's always going to result in chaos and confusion in your life. But God always has a better way. You know what his better way is? God came to man. That's what we sing about in church. That's why we celebrate every Sunday that God became one of us. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love and to heal and to forgive. That's who Jesus is. And so when Jesus came down, he reversed the curse. So all of a sudden, everybody had been speaking different languages. Now they were all hearing of the mighty works of God in their own tongues. And they didn't understand it. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocked, said, they're filled with new wine. And right there, you have the difference of how people respond to the good news of Christ. It'll happen here today. Some will take it seriously. Some will walk away and say, what does this mean? God, show me meaning. What, what does this mean for me? How do I walk out of here different? How do I receive what I've heard and apply it to my life? Others will think it's a game. If you don't think you can be a member of a church, maybe even be a leader in a church and play games, just look on social media. See how some of your friends talk about church. See how they treat the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. They're mocking it. They're laughing at it as if it's not of importance. And some of you are going to decide today, am I going to just play a game again? Am I going to walk out of here leaving what the Spirit of God has done, just like I leave a crumpled piece of paper on the chair behind me? Or am I going to reason and ask God, what does this mean to me? In fact, that's so important. I want to stop again and just pray and ask God to, to show us his perfect will in this moment. Father, it's in the name of Jesus. You are with us. We know that. We brought you with us. But God, we ask you now, continue to speak. Give clarity. God, I pray that you teach us what we don't know. But God, we don't just need to be taught. We need to be transformed. So make us who we're not so that we might become all that you want us to be. God, let my words and thoughts honor you. Guide them. Hide me behind you, Jesus, in the remainder of our time. And oh God, I ask you, just as I've been asking for the last 48 hours, God, would you change somebody as we're gathered here today? Would you save somebody for eternity as we're gathered here today in this room and online and those who will watch or hear this at another time? God, would you change us for eternity? Lord, may you do this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you.
You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So Acts 2 continues and it says, but Peter... Now, we know this guy, Peter. Oh, Peter, he's got a record. He's the most well-known denier of Christ that's alive at the time. Just think about that for a second. Judas is dead. Peter's alive, but he has denied the Christ. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me, but I've got good news. You're going to come back. And some of you are like where Peter was. You have denied him, and now you're following at a guilty distance. You've not come back. I'm going to remind you, on the Sea of Galilee, there at breakfast, Jesus restored Peter, and he brought him back. And for some of you, you've got that relationship with Christ. You know who he is and what that means, but it's time to come back. It's time to come back to Jesus. It's time to start living like you're following Jesus. This is a picture of the gospel because if God could use Peter as he's about to use Peter, he can use you as he wants to use you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It it doesn't matter your background. Your race doesn't matter. Your status in life doesn't matter. God wants to use you for his glory. So Peter, standing with the 11, he lifted up his voice and he addressed him and he said, Men of Judea and all you who are dwelling in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk. It's only the third hour. That means it's nine in the morning. And that doesn't mean you can't get drunk at nine in the morning. But he's saying that's not what's going on right now. And then here's what he says. He says, if you want to understand what's going on right now, you've got to look at the word. Notice verse 16. This is what was uttered to the prophet Joel. And I would just say to you, if you want to try to understand our culture, if you want to make sense of the wackiness of this world, you had better get into the word. There's power in the word of God. That's why when you come to this church, man, we may make you smile. We may make you laugh, but our goal is not to entertain you. Our goal is to demonstrate the power through the spirit of God, of the word of God, because it's the preaching of the word of God. The foolishness of that is what it says that God uses to change lives. And so he says, I want you to understand what took place through Joel. And then he says this, and in the last days, it shall be God declares last days. When are the last days? Guess what? We're in them. But guess what? They were in them too. (laughs) The last days were the time between when Jesus lived and ascended and the time he's coming back. So there's been a couple of thousand years of the last days, but I believe with all my heart, we're living in the last of the last days. My mama, who's still alive, she believes Jesus is coming back before she goes to heaven. And I believe she very well may be right. Joel said in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Now, I want to point out something right here. The 120, 
They were led by the 11 disciples. How old were these disciples? They were young men. You think of them like the pictures you've seen painted of people that never saw them. They don't have digital photographs of these guys. These were young fishermen. Jesus was only 33. These were young men, some of them teenagers, some of them in their early 20s. And God was using them on this day of Pentecost. But guess what? Throughout history, God has used young people to stir the spirit in the world and to change the world. That's why as a church, we have to be committed to reaching back and bringing the next generation along. That's why we have to invest in our children and in our students and our college students. Good night. We're, we're just a couple of miles away from one of the largest universities, not only in the country, but in the world. And thousands of students come from around the world to study there. Could it be that God's bringing the world to us so that we can make a difference for his glory? He goes on to say, even on male servants and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I just want to point out, not trying to stir up a little controversy, but as I read the scripture, here's one thing that's true. The message of the gospel is for everybody. And God wants to work through everybody, whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you whatever race you're from. It says, all the wonders of heaven above signs and the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes and the great magnificent day. He's talking about the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And then it says in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Say everyone. everyone. Who can be saved? Everyone. Who can be saved, church? Everyone. Who needs to be saved? You're right. Now, why do we need to be saved? We need to be saved because we're separated from God at birth. You hear of these stories, and I've got a good friend who has an amazing story that he's walking through even right now about a, a separation of birth that God is bringing about and redeeming for the glory of God. But you hear about those stories, but the reality is every one of us were separated at birth from God. By our sin. That's what sin does. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned. We've all sinned. That means we've all done wrong. Now, here's the reality. We live in a world where nobody likes to be told they're a sinner. So be prepared. Some of you even bristled up when I said that. Because even in church, you're like, don't call me a sinner. Well, I'm not calling you a sinner. But God's word is. It says all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's design. Sin is anything you do that God says don't do. It's anything you don't do that God says do. So we have sins of commission, those things we commit in our life. We have sins of omissions, those things we omit in our life, and we are all sinners. And then the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that there's punishment for sin. It calls it a wage, and I can understand that because I'd like to earn a wage. You like to earn a wage, but the earnings of sin, what you earn when you sin, it says is death. And that's been ever since the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were going to live forever. They died. They didn't live forever. But this is not just physical death. It's talking about spiritual death, a death where you're separated from God forever. So if your sin is left undealt with, the Bible says that what happens is you were born separated from God and you live forever separated from God. And it even tells us our address. It's a place called hell. 
But the Bible says that's not God's desire. The rest of that verse says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is forever life, eternal life. God wants you to be with him. So much so that it says this in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love and that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. So your sin didn't keep Jesus from the cross. Your sin is what put Jesus on the cross. You need to be saved because of your sin, but the good news is you can be saved because of what Jesus has done. In fact, it's pretty simple. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. It's with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. That's why in Acts, Peter will say, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Hey, here's what I really want you to contemplate for the next few minutes. Have you ever called on the name of the Lord to be saved? No, 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 no. Not are you Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, non-denominate. No, 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 not, that. not your church resume. Not have you raised a hand, walked down an aisle, been dipped or dunked, gone to confirmation or communion. No, no. Have you called on the name of the Lord for salvation? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.